Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's pod will have a strength training theme. We'll be joined by Northeast Baseball Head of Athletic Development, Greg Robbins. Greg worked at Cressy Sports Performance from 2012 to 2018 before opening the Strength House in Worcester, Massachusetts. He partnered with NEB last offseason and started training high school college, and professional athletes out of the Strength Barn in Harvard, Massachusetts. I just did a story on eight pro players who are training under Robbins at the Strength Barn. Visit BaseballJournal.com to check that one out. Before we get to Greg, I'll review some of the ways you can engage with us at New England Baseball Journal. This winter, we are pulling back the curtain on New England's largest travel programs to try to give players and parents an idea of what's out there. Visit BaseballJournal.com to check out those pieces. We're also doing state-of-the-program reports on each of New England's Division I programs. In addition to visiting BaseballJournal.com, you can sign up for our free email newsletter, which goes out three times a week and highlights the latest content on BaseballJournal.com. We're also starting to work on the winter edition of New England Baseball Journal. The print publication includes prep previews as well as college features at the D1, D2, and D3 levels. If you want to receive that publication at your home or office, click on the Subscribe tab on BaseballJournal.com. That publication will go to press after the first of the year. Thanks again for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Greg Robbins joining us on Zoom. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for joining the pod. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting with you guys. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mentioned in the intro that we, I just did that story a couple of days ago on uh, you know the eight professional players that you're working with at uh, NEB's Strength Barn. Um, I would imagine this is probably like the most exciting time of year for you as a, as a strength coach because these guys, the baseball players, are fully dedicated to that aspect of their training, whereas it's probably a little bit more difficult to be consistent in season. What is this time of year like for you? Uh, I think busy is probably the first word that comes to my mind, but it is exciting. Uh, between the professional players and then starting next week, we'll have uh, winter break for all the college players we work with. And then the high school guys have been in here since, uh, you know, September ish, August, September. So pretty much uh, coaching from 9 a.m. until about 8 p.m. most days. So uh, fortunate to have a, a really good staff to help me out with all that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I've talked to people in the past, um, you know, in the strength and conditioning field who uh, really try to instill a kind of a culture in the weight room and have a, a lot of energy. And, you know, I always ask them, what is, what is your ideal weight room look like or what does it feel like when you walk in? For you, what, is it, what does it look like at NEB, uh, you know, at the strength bar? And what is it like when people walk in the gym? Uh, I think it's high energy. I think it's a, a combination of having like a kind of a no BS environment where, where guys and, and we do have some girls can, can train hard and take what they're doing seriously. But at the same time, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, the barn and our gym being sort of the third place for a lot of these guys. So they have, um, you know, home and then they have, you know, their team, uh, and for some of our high school guys, like, you know, it's school home. And then this is sort of their third place. So I want them to have a good time as well. And kind of, you know, be able to let loose and, and hang out and have some fun at the same time. But uh, I think we strike a good balance between having fun and also getting down to business. Yeah. And I know you have experience, uh, you know, working at Cressy Sports Performance. And I went down there and kind of watched 
the way that they do things a few years ago. And I remember, you know, there's a lot of video analysis and assessments kind of go on to figure out how to customize a program for athletes. What what should athletes expect if they wanted to come in and start working with you? What's kind of the, the first step that you would take? Um, so I think definitely an evaluation or an assessment. Um, you know, if we have to figure out where the starting point is for each of the guys that works with us. Uh, so it's a, a little bit different depending on the level of baseball that they're playing and how old they are. Um, so with our, you know, professional guys, higher level college guys, the assessment is pretty thorough. Um, so we take them through uh, a movement screen where we're just trying to get an idea for what kind of ranges of motion they're capable of getting into, what kind of control they have of those ranges of motion. Um, that helps me a lot with putting together what we need to work on from a movement standpoint, uh, as well as choose the right exercises in the gym. I think um, you see a lot of you know flexibility and mobility exercises out there, which are great, but um, I think you actually get more bang for your buck by choosing the right exercise selection with what they're actually doing in the weight room uh, and with different medicine ball drills and power development drills and things like that. Um, once we finish the movement screen, we move on to what we call our performance profile. Uh, so this is where I think we're a little bit unique. I think a lot of places do, you know, movement profiles to make sure that, you know, guys are doing things that aren't going to hurt them and working on their movement, but the performance profile helps us uh, paint a picture of, what kind of athlete they are from an output standpoint. So we run them through a, a battery of different things from jumps to sprints, to med ball throws for velocity, to strength tests. Uh, and this gives me an idea of where we can zero in and, and kind of find the, the lowest hanging fruit for them. So, uh, you know, with professional guys, for example, that have a lot of years under their belt with, with training and in the game, uh, that's super important uh, because, you know, some guys might already have, that kind of strength base covered and we have to work on learning to apply force more quickly. And then I think as you go like lower in age, that performance profile becomes a little bit more geared towards, you know, just learning to lift and getting stronger. Uh, so that that's been really key in us zeroing in on giving athletes what, what they need to get better and the right dose of each thing. Yeah. And, and this time of year, it seems like a lot of uh, pitchers are kind of shut down at least for, from throwing for the next couple of months, how does that impact, you know, what they're doing to try to avoid injuries to either like rotator cuffs or the UCL, you know, you see a lot of Tommy John surgeries for pitchers. What type of work can they be doing this time of year to avoid those type of injuries? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think like direct arm care is part of all of our programs at at every age. Um, But I think what a lot of, players lose sight of is that most of those injuries actually stem from uh, a lack of base movement capacity and base strength. So um, most shoulder, you know, everything kind of trickles out. We talk about the, the proximal part of the body, which is more of like your trunk. So your rib cage and your hips and everything in between the, those two areas, uh, learning to control those and having good stability and strength through those areas uh, actually keeps sort of the extremities uh, a lot safer and healthier throughout the year. So uh, arm care is not just limited to, you know, doing rotator cuff exercises. I think actually that if you want your arm healthy, it's really a more of a a global uh, approach where we're trying to get the whole body strong, moving better. And then you'll actually see a a lot less incident of injuries, at least as much as we can prevent it. I think you can never prevent injuries completely, but we can um, definitely, 
make sure that we're covering all the bases to bring that risk down as much as possible. Yeah, it's funny. People think about, you know, core stability or core training. And uh, in the old days, it was, you know, get on the ground and do a bunch of sit-ups. But um, what what type of training do you do for baseball players who really need to strengthen that core? Yeah, so I think core training is one of the things I'm a, a little more passionate about and forward thinking about. Um, I think, like you said, if you, if we go really old school, you see a lot of crunches and sit-ups. But I think at this point with, you know, knowledgeable strength and conditioning coaches, we know that, that that's not really – uh, what guys need. So I think from there it moved on to be all about stability through the core. So you saw a lot of exercises that had to do with uh, learning to basically keep the spine stable. And in one position, you'll hear a lot of people talk about spine being neutral. So obviously you can curve your spine into like a very round shape, which we call flexion or more of an arched shape, which we call extension. Um, and so the, the pendulum kind of swung towards trying to keep it as straight as possible. So examples of that, easy examples could be like things like planks or side bridges where you're just holding positions for a long time. And I think that's great for our younger crowd um, because they need to learn to do that first. It's sort of a first principle of core stability. But ultimately, if we look at the game of baseball, it's all about you know, moving your extremities, moving the hips, rotating the shoulders at really high speeds. And while that's happening, you still need to be able to keep some uh, form of stability through the core. So um, our end goal with our athletes when it comes to, you know, core training is to actually start to move implements, whether those be um, like weight plates or medicine balls, or we use actually a lot of like uh, water filled balls and implements that add a little bit more kind of uh, chaos and instability to the implement that we're using. And we want to learn to move those quickly through ranges of motion while also holding the integrity of the positions that uh, we're getting into. Now, you mentioned doing assessments on guys. Are there core uh, kind of lifts that you do regardless of how the assessment comes out? I remember when I was in college, you know, it would be like bench press, squats, and deadlifts or something. Like everybody did that regardless of how you test it out. Do you have any of those core lifts? Uh, we do use different core lifts depending on the situation. Um, I would say for us, you know, deadlifts, deadlifts are a big exercise that we do use. Uh, and some guys squat, uh, but I, I would probably section it into kind of compound lifts. So the bigger compound lifts would be usually split into two categories, like knee dominant and hip dominant. So what I mean by that is like, which, which of those joints is moving through the biggest range of motion. So if you look at a squat, that's an example of a knee dominant lift. And if you look at a deadlift, that's an example of a hip dominant lift, but split squats, lunges, things like that are also knee dominant lifts and one leg uh, RDLs are an example of a hip dominant lift as well. So that's where the exercise selection uh, becomes really paramount. And so that goes back to our assessment, kind of figuring out how they move. Um, you know, the old school kind of squat is king. I would say on average, and I probably only use squats with maybe 10 to 20% of the athletes we work with. And they have to just be guys who, when I go through their assessment, show a really good capability of, of a nice squat pattern. And then that's a usable exercise for us. But I don't think there's such thing as like one lift being better than another. Instead of thinking about lifts, I like to think in the terms of like, what's the adaptation that we're looking for. So if you use a squat or a deadlift, the adaptation that you're looking for is, is maximal force production. Like, so 
how much force can you put in the ground and then put through your body into that weight. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. In the end, we just want stronger legs or a stronger back or a stronger chest. Um, so if we don't really want to marry ourselves to one exercise to make that happen, because then I think you end up with guys getting hurt in the weight room or losing capability of moving because they're uh, putting themselves in too tight of a window where they're just learning to move up and down or just moving to learn, uh, learning to move on two legs instead of also one leg uh, supported, unsupported, things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you, you've referenced a couple of times or mentioned, um, you know, younger athletes in the gym, you know, not necessarily the college guys, or the pro guys. I remember it's funny how much stuff evolves because I remember growing up, everybody said, you know, you really shouldn't start lifting until you're done growing. And that seems to kind of have become, you know, a myth that nobody subscribes to anymore because, you know, you can get kids involved in uh, mobility exercises and range of motion, different things for that. What uh, what do you recommend when parents come to you and say, hey, do you think my kid's ready to start getting involved in a strength program? Yeah, I think the, the first thing I talk about, if we're talking about, you know, really young kids, let's say 12 to 14 years old is just maturity. So it's more of a mental thing. Um, if they're mature enough to take it seriously and come in and, and focus on what they're doing, then I think they're ready to get in the gym. Um, there's no there's no repercussions to that necessarily. So, you know, with, I still, to this day, will receive that argument about, well, it's, you know, I'm too young to start lifting weights, still growing, et cetera. Um, the truth of the matter is that any training that we're doing in the gym is what is a matter of force training. So again, we're just, we're learning how to apply force in certain positions. Um, and if a kid comes in at 13 years old, there's, he's not strong enough to, to move a whole lot of weight in the weight room. Uh, so if let's say the kid's a, a hundred pounds, well, no parent has an issue with that kid jumping or sprinting or doing any of those kind of activities. And every time he sprints and his foot strikes the ground and he's trying to run as hard as he can, he's putting, you know, a, a good amount of force into the ground, much more than he could actually lift in the weight room. So that argument kind of goes out the window because if it's about, you know, too much exposure to force, uh, they, you know, running and jumping gets them well above what they can actually do in the weight room. Uh, so I do think though, that with younger kids, it's really a question of developing, uh, the right part of their system at the right time in, in their life. So our nervous system is actually a lot more pliable, capable of change at younger ages. Um, so in those younger windows, we do want to put more of a focus on speed training. So things like running and jumping and sprinting, uh, because as you get older, you know, once kids, uh, males at least kind of reach that age of maybe even as young as 14 plus that window really starts to close quickly on how well we can tune their nervous system for speed. So while we will do weight room activities, it's more of a, a learning process at that point. I like to think about backwards planning. So if a 13 year old baseball player comes in my, my my process of thinking is well, what, what would I want this guy to be able to do when he's 18 19 20 years old um, so I just want to set him up with the tools to understand what those positions look like in the weight room so that by the time we get to that point in his development we're doing less teaching on what the form looks like and we're able to just sort of get after it uh, and I'm putting a lot more stock into their effort and volume of training in the 
uh, you know, body weight, sprinting, jumping and things like that. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. We offer the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all your baseball and softball needs with our player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your event's college resources and customer attention in one place every season. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division I, II, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. What do you think uh, guys are generally wasting time doing in the weight room? What do you see the most and say, you know, that's a mistake that they're spending so much time doing that? You know, sometimes you hear curls, you know, bicep curls or something like that. Is there anything that you see in the uh, in gyms that you say, hey, I don't know why they're spending so much time doing that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, you know, I think so many things are an it depends question. And even though no one likes that answer, um, but I'd say in general, probably what I see just overarchingly in the weight room is too many guys are focused on just how much weight they can move. And while that's one of the things that can help with performance, it's certainly not the only thing. And while some guys need more strength than others, um, just arbitrarily trying to move as much weight as possible isn't necessarily uh, the best thing for these kids. So I don't shy away from weight training and obviously we get guys pretty strong, um, but it's really dependent on the type of athlete that they are. And I think everything that we do in the weight room and in life, it's always a question of trade-offs. So while you're getting better at one thing, it generally means that, you know, something else has to, has to be sacrificed. And if we go in the gym and we just do a bunch of squats and deadlifts and bench presses, and we kind of sell out for that, uh, we are going to lose out on some of the things that we could be gaining from a moving better standpoint, from a power and speed development standpoint. Um, so we really have to weigh these trade-offs at different points in the development of each athlete and understand like what we can get away with at each point, because everything does come with a cost and you have to figure out you know, when, when that trade-off is, is right. Yeah. You see so many uh, trends now in the, in strength training industry and some of them aren't so new. Uh, but you know, now you hear a lot about, you know, high intensity interval training, uh, or, you know, the CrossFit obviously has blown up in the last 10 years. 
Uh, you hear a lot about functional strength training. What what have you taken from those different trends that you you'll incorporate into your own programs? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I think in the world of strength and conditioning, there's a lot of big egos. So sometimes you uh, you see guys kind of poo poo on uh, different training modalities. Uh, I try to kind of apply that Bruce Lee principle of accept what's useful and reject what's not. And I think that. Um, any, you know, any training modality that comes out for the most part, you can, if you take like a growth mindset toward it, you can find something useful that they're doing. So, um, with some of the examples you gave, like a, like a CrossFit, while that might not be the way that we would train our athletes from a, a nuts and bolts standpoint, as far as what lifts they're doing and what the you know time limits and sets and reps are, you know, I think one great thing about something like CrossFit is the camaraderie and the culture. Um, so I've taken a lot from there and just kind of the intensity that they've fostered by breeding competition in the weight room uh, and having people really kind of take almost like a, a cult mentality. People really identify with being CrossFitters. Um, so, you know, that's something that I strive for in our gym as well, where, where are different things that we can compete on, because if we can compete, we're going to get higher outputs. Uh, so as an example, we do a lot of acceleration training in the game of baseball you're not going to run really, you know, long distances. Uh, so one thing we put a big priority on is our, just our 10 yard start times. And we time those multiple times per week for every athlete. And we have a running leaderboard of, uh, who's getting the lowest times on those. And we probably started doing, you know, that much timing and that much tracking of it about a year ago. And, it, you know, it was just incredible to see how much faster guys were getting once we started making it more competitive. So, um, just as an example, that's a big thing I took, you know, from sort of the, the, the CrossFit area, uh, you know, the, the functional training guys, it's, that's, it, that's a pretty broad term, uh, you know, functional, I always tell people is like, if functional, it depends on what, what, what you want to do. If you want bigger biceps, then a bicep curls function for what your goal is. Um, but if you want to be a better baseball player, then we need to address, the movements and positions that you can get into the energy systems that are being used, uh, in that sport. Um, so I think of functional is really just specificity and, you know, I think good strength and conditioning know that ultimately specificity is King. The more specific you get towards the adaptations that you want that mimic what's going to happen in the sport, the better results you're going to get. So if you want to get stronger in the weight room, uh, well, that's just not going to happen by, running distances because it's not specific. And if you want to get better at running distances, then spending a bunch of time in the weight room is just not going to help you as much because it's not as specific. So again, there's trade-offs to everything and strength can help keep a distance runner healthy and distance running to some degree might help build the aerobic system of a, you know, more anaerobic type athlete. So there's times and places for each thing, but I think um, what you take from a functional training approach is, really taking the mindset of really becoming a student of what you're training people for. So I really try to pride myself in a lot of my continuing education, not always being on the strength and conditioning side of things, but understanding what hitting coaches and pitching coaches are looking at uh, so that I can speak that language and understand what they're trying to get guys to do so that I can make the training that we're doing in the gym more functional towards that goal. Yeah, and one of the things that kind of plagues uh, baseball players, it seems, 
you, you mentioned trade-offs and it seems like, um, you know, it's particularly pitchers that, you know, can struggle with inflammation either, you know, in their shoulder or their elbow. And then it becomes difficult to, to strengthen that area because, you know, when, when there's a lot of inflammation, then you're struggling in the weight room to get through those lifts. What do you recommend for somebody who has a lot of inflammation? Are there ways to kind of, um, work through that? Yeah. Uh, you have to pinpoint, I guess, what the cause or the driver of that inflammation was. If, if they're being overused as a pitcher, then, you know, that inflammation is not coming so much from stuff that we're doing in the weight room. It's coming from mismanagement of their arm, um, from their coaches. And so we have to make sure that we have good relationships with the coaches and make sure that athletes aren't being overused. Um, if we already get to that point where, you know, plenty of guys do come in with already some sort of pain, uh, you have to have a large library of different exercises that you can use so that you can still get a training effect without putting them in a position of pain. We never want to train through pain. That's just a principle. Um, but I think if you spent a lot of time training guys, then you have a lot of different ways that you can build a workout to work around that inflammation, because depending on what kind of injury or inflammation it is. Sometimes we do need to back away from that area. Sometimes like in the case of a tendonitis or something like that, where you're having um, some issue at the actual tendon, like we, we actually have to place some kind of stimulus back on that area in order to strengthen it up and help it um, be prepared for the demands that, that are going to be placed on it. So I uh, really have to understand what the injury is why there's inflammation in the first part and then make sure that you're meeting it with the, the proper kind of training. That makes sense. Uh, in terms of nutrition and sleep, you know, we always hear how important those are to be, you know, maximize your potential. How involved are you in uh, mapping out, you know, a nutrition plan or monitoring your player's sleep habits? Yeah, that's a great point. I meant to bring that up in your last question, actually. Uh, that's something that definitely should be addressed when you have an athlete with excessive inflammation or something like that. Uh, that's going to take a long time to get better. If you're not meeting your, you know, if you're training hard, then you have to recover hard. So you do have to make sure that sleep, uh, high, well, hydration, sleep, um, and nutrition are of big priorities. Um, so we, we do a good amount around that within the scope that we are allowed to, um, so when it comes to nutrition, um, you know, I offer basically two levels of help for our guys. Uh, we do some more like global type calls and informational things that are put out to help them understand what good nutrition is. Uh, and then we can take that a step further and actually do consults uh, where we talk about good nutritional habits and what good nutrition looks like. Um, but uh, that it, that is another thing that kind of changes depending on the level of the player so most of our younger guys come in and uh, you know 90 percent of them just they need to gain weight so that's another thing we've found really good results with and being a little competitive and being a little bit uh, transparent with their weight gain so every guy gets weighed in every month and those weights go up on the board and they can see the progress that they are or not making um, and I think that you know, young kids are really driven by um, their social status. So like if you can get them in a, a place where they see other other kids putting in the work to gain weight and eating enough and they notice that they're not, um, 
that that's generally enough to push them to make the gains that they need to. So uh, it's not unheard of for us to have, you know, high schoolers and uh, yeah, the high school age, I would say sort of 15 to 18 uh, put on 20 or 30 pounds in an off season. And it's not a hundred percent about gaining weight, but you know, if you're 16 years old and you're six feet tall and you only weigh 140 pounds, that is sort of one of the first things that we need to address, especially if they want to throw harder or hit balls further. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to sleep and other recovery type measures, it's a lot of informational type stuff. Uh, and just a lot about, you know, a huge part of, of what we do as strength coaches is building really good relationships with the kids that we work with. And that's why, you know, as a facility, I prefer to stay pretty small and have a good grasp on every guy that trains with us. You know, every athlete that trains trains with us has my cell phone number and they can reach out to me anytime they want. Um, and I think just being in their corner there to answer questions and just staying on top of them about, you know, those, those modalities, nutrition, sleep, and hydration. So those would be the big three. And that's, that's kind of the way we go about addressing it. Yeah, that's an, it's funny you were mentioning, you know, recording their weights and, you know, posting them publicly. It reminded me, I did an interview once with a guy named Tony Holler. He's um, a famous, you know, like he's the most successful track coach in the country. And he had the yep. same philosophy that like, you know, once you post it, record and post it for everyone to see, they get competitive and that helps bring it out. Now he even takes it a step further and he's like tweeting out every day you know, the hundred times or, you know, 40 times and things like that. So the kids all retweet it and, you know, they love seeing that stuff online. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, I wanted to um, <laughs> ask you about, He's, oh, go ahead. I was to say, so the fact that the, the reason we timed the 10 yard starts and we post it all the time is actually from listening to Tony. And I think he calls that feeding the cats. And right, he's yeah. definitely been a, a big influence on what, what we do with sprints. Yeah. He's, he's a great coach. Um, I wanted to ask you before we let you go here about the, you know, you had, I had mentioned earlier, we did the story on the eight professional players. How did that opportunity come about and what is it, um, you know, are they in there with everybody else or, you know, do they have their own time or how does that all play out? Um, yeah. So I think over the last four years I've we've worked with, you know, one or two professional guys every off season. Um, but um, this, you know, this past draft, uh, we had Ryan Cusick go in the first round and, and he's a guy I've actually worked with since he was going into his freshman year of high school. Um, and I think for others to see his success and, you know, sometimes I think with, with training athletes, it's, you know, everyone wants to get in, be a strength coach and work with professional athletes. Um, but it's, sometimes it's a time thing, you know, sometimes I guess you fall into the right place and you're just given a bunch of professional athletes right off the bat. That's not necessarily the case for me. Um, but I, you know, had a guy like him that we've stuck with and worked with for eight years and to watch him go up the ranks and achieve that goal was amazing. Um, and you know, most of that, all that credit goes to Ryan himself for all the work that he's put in. Um, and so I think that that kind of opened the door where other guys sort of saw what we were doing. Um, and then, you know, partnering up with with Northeast Baseball, uh, these guys are all alums of the Northeast Baseball program. So once we, you know, brought the Scott was Scott Patterson um, asked me to come aboard and we talked about, you know, getting a professional group. We reached out to some of these guys, uh, a few of whom I, you know, known before in the past and had worked with when they were younger. And, you know, we wouldn't 
it wouldn't be possible without Scott's help to get such a great group of guys all together. Um, and we do separate when they're training to a degree. Um, so they come in in the morning when the younger guys are in school. So we generally meet between nine and nine thirty AM and train until about 12, 1230. Uh, but you know, they're in the facility, you know, after we train, they tend to stick around and do hitting or throwing and fielding stuff. And definitely, uh, high school guys and college guys come in kind of right after them and are in the mix. And I think that's important. I think that's what can keep elevating this program to, to even a new level. Um, you know, even though there's been so much success through Northeast baseball so far, I think now having the, the off season training for the professional guys, in addition to the, you know, the baseball skill side, uh, it lets the younger crowd see what it takes to get to the next level. And that's so huge because it's, it's so much about belief. Like when you get around other guys that are doing it, uh, it, you just start to materialize that. So, you know, people talk about throwing 90 miles an hour all the time. Well, that it's possible, but it's going to be even more possible if you get around guys that are already throwing 90 miles per hour and you just, watch how they go about their work, see that it's possible and you can do it too. Um, so yeah, I love the community here and really the, the, the family. And I'm very grateful for having the opportunity to work with this program. Uh, Cause I think there's going to be some really big things to come in the next years ahead. That's great. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to share your, uh, your strength training philosophy with us. And um, thank you so much for taking the time, especially in this busy time of year. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Hope uh, hope people can take some some nuggets from it. Thanks to Greg Robbins for joining the pod. Before we close out, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert every time a new pod goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit baseballjournal.com. We update the site daily. With new stories, click the subscribe tab to get the winter edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast. <laughs>